This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in term supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Leicester City have a penalty kick in the six minutes of injury time. Injury time. Injury time. Look out, takes. Almunia saves. Look out, follows in. Almunia saves again. And now what for on the counter? Listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast, joining us for a conversation this evening, Dave Messenger. Good evening, Dave. How are you? Good evening, Justin. Thanks for having us on. Ah, It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's good to have you here, sir. It's good to have you here. Now we will get we will get to your official positions within the club. I do have the suspicion that everybody considers basically you still at the supporter liaison officer. I imagine everybody since you've left the supporter liaison officer role still probably considers you the supporter liaison. But we'll get to that and we'll find out we'll find out some new names as well as well as the bits on the new role. But let's let's start first of all with as I say we normally turn around and say find out how a player fell in love with football, how anybody involved with the club of which you most certainly are fell in love with Watford so first first kind of question what was the first game you attended who did you attend with what was the score can you remember all of that I most certainly can yeah it was April 1979 so I'm aging myself by answering that question as well but that's fine it was April 1979 uh, it was a home game against Plymouth Argyle we drew two all um, and I only know from looking at the record books that Keith Mercer scored the first goal that I ever scored for Watford, uh, saw for Watford. I don't actually have a, ve- a, a real recollection of it, but um, obviously the, a young boy going to the first football match, it was all just excitement and it, what a brilliant, you know, the feeling of being inside the stadium and seeing the grass and seeing the team that my dad talked about all the time. And it was my dad that took me to my first game. He'd been going for donkey's years. He started going in 1951. His dad had taken him. So we've got the full sort of family history, if you like, of, of watching the club. But yeah, the first game, I don't, my mate, the, the one thing I remember more about it than anything else was when Graham Taylor came to sit on the bench, the old bench in front of the yeah. 
in front of the main stand. And my dad, I, I clear as remember, clear as day, remember my dad saying to me, "That's Graham Taylor." Whenever he comes out, we all clap and we all cheer. So I was like, "All right, lovely, join in." So that's the that's the only real thing I can remember about that first match. Funny enough, but yeah, that was my first game, and it's uh, season ticket holder from the season after that. And what part of the ground did you sit in then? When you, at your, at your so first. We were, so we were on the we were in the Vicarage Road end. We were on the terrace. So we were on the bit of terrace that we used to stand on, and my dad used to stand on was is now underneath roughly underneath the upper Graham Taylor stand concourse, right just where people go in. So it's kind of like the, the terrace bit itself is long gone. And my dad brilliantly, my dad just used to, every time they built something, so when the Graham, when they, what's now the Graham Taylor stand was first built, he just yeah. shuffled along a little bit so he could still be as close as to his spot as he could. And then when it went to the Vicarage <laughs> stand again, he chose a seat that was as close as he could possibly be to the bit that he used to stand on as well. So he's such a creature of habit. And then when we went down to the Rookery, he chose a seat that mirrored the seat that he'd been sitting in the Vicarage Road end. So he was, uh, he was, yeah, he he loved it, and he was, and right, right up until, right up until the year he passed away, he was still going home and away. So you know, it all comes from him. It all comes from him. As most of us, I think, probably, it all comes from the family. So you go, you going with your dad. Sorry, I'm going to go completely off course here, as per normal. But when your dad talked about, I mean, you say about you're you're the third generation of Watford supporters in your family. There, who were the names that he would call out from his day? And did your granddad? Call out older names still. Funny, the funny thing about my granddad, although he used to go, he wasn't actually a Watford fan because he he grew up in Suffolk. So he ended up living in Watford during we moved to the Watford during the Second World War when he was in his thirties and he was a fireman. And he wasn't really a Watford fan. And my dad badgered him to start going to watch Watford because my granddad would just pick a team in London every Saturday and go on the train and off he'd go to London yeah. and come back a few beers and a smoke load of fags or whatever and come back and my dad was all like oh well I, I fancy some of this but my granddad was like oh I'm not taking him into London so my dad said, they said well we'll go to Watford so that's how my granddad got into it through my dad as well really because it was my dad that badgered them to start going but again once they went to their, their, their first match they kind of yeah they very quickly fell in love with it and, and started going every week and my granddad right again my granddad to tell too many family stories, really. I mean, talk about stuff, but my granddad, no, my granddad was, um, so he used to sell the old Golden Goals lottery tickets as well around the ground and, and, and locally. But he would always like let me and my brother think that he really didn't like Watford and he'd always be like, oh, they're rubbish. Uh, every game, it didn't matter who you'd beat in the first division days, we'd beat whoever. And my granddad would be like, uh, Watford rubbish today, should have won 5 0, never mind 3 0. So <laughs> my granddad never quite, he always tried to play this whole card of he wasn't really a Watford supporter and he only went along because we all along but you knew he you knew he loved it so he wouldn't have done all the stuff he did if he hadn't so the golden goal tickets i remember them very well. tickets, yeah. yeah yeah i opened one once it said october um <laughs> so yeah <laughs> that's a jasper carrot joke by the way i'm not going to claim yeah. that one anyway as you were peter sorry yeah no 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 not at all, not at all. so how did your support grow as you got older? Because obviously you're absolutely right. You tend to go with parents or with somebody there. And then you'll kind of support, as you kind of tend to grow up, your support tends to sort of change in, in some way or morph in some way. How, how did it grow? So, so me, me and my brother sort of cut the uh, cut the umbilical cord to my dad, if you like, at football. Mm-hmm. But we we drifted slowly towards the scoreboard. So me and my brother, by the time we were sort of mid-teens, 16, 17, we were standing under the scoreboard. So we'd kind of like, yeah, we'll leave dad to it. And we, we sort of drifted over there. And then when you sort of get onto that, into that, that sort of world and get to know more people, that's when the old fanzine stuff started for me. Ah, because yeah. I kind of, I never got involved with mud, sweat and beers. So that was probably just a little bit too, too, too soon for me. But when Clap Young, 
Hand Stamp Your Feet started, I got to know the people that edited that. So I started writing little bits and pieces for Clap Your Hand Stamp Your Feet. And then it sort of grew from there and it sort of carried on helping out with that fanzine over the years. And then jumping forward about 10 years, we merged Clap Your Hand Stamp Your Feet and The Yellow Experience, which two, two great fanzines to form Look at the Stars. And at that point, the guy that had edited Clap Your Hand Stamp Your Feet for 10 odd years was like, I'm knocking it on the head. I'm, I've, I've had enough now. So he kind of handed it over. So Colin Payne and I took on editing, co-editing Look at the Stars. And they were they were they were some great years. We had I mean, Colin I mean, Colin had so much fun doing that. And they were kind of like all of, all of those years of of standing out in Vicarage Road and watching everybody ignore you as you walk past as you walk past you shout and try and sell the fanzines and stuff. It's like it's almost like a right passage in a lot of ways. It was so much fun. We loved it. Me and Colin and, every, and the people that sold stuff for us absolutely loved doing it. But you knew the majority of fans were just walking past you. I envy you guys with your podcasts, you see. You just put them out and everyone listens to them. You haven't got to stand in the street in the wind and the rain trying to sell you. I often go and put an arm around Tom Wicks selling the uh, the golden pages. Often yeah, I see Tom, <laughs> see Tom outside the ground. And I, I saw him out there last night, actually, after the match. And I was just like, oh, come on, Tom. Hello, mate. Hello. <laughs> it's bad enough doing it before the game, not after the game as well. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Bless him. <laughs> now, sorry, I'm really intrigued with this because I loved Clap Your Hands. That was you know, my time, my era, and it was like, and I just kind of went from buying the programme into something that was just just so much more funny, mm. so much more relevant, so much more fan-led, you know, so it really was the equivalent of, you know, what what is now kind of a lot of the podcast, which is kind of fan-led stuff, which was amazing. But this was before the time where, I mean, we talk about obviously Golden Pages or, of course, YBR, which are now digitally produced, great-looking magazines, at the time, what were the logistics of getting something like clap your hands, stamp your feet done? Because there must have been somebody with an industrial level of favours and a very large photocopier, I suspect, um, to get yeah. all of that stuff done. Yeah, the old the old clap your hands stuff. So the the, the guy that edited clap your hands, a guy called Matt Bento, and Matt Matt had a computer before but before anyone else had computers when personal computers started to boom and he did it all on a word processor that he had as part of his computer package so he would type it all out and that's why it had that kind of weird typeface that sometimes looked a bit yeah. because it was a crappy little piece of kit he wouldn't mind me saying it he would sit there and diligently <laughs> put it all into this word processor and then actually get the files and send them away to a printer to be done so we had um i can't remember the mist of time now i can't remember the printer but i can remember the printer to look at the stars was the place in Catford. So when we got around to look at the stars, we had a bit better desktop publishing. And Colin and I had this, Colin would say this now if he was here, Colin and I had this great thought thought that this is so much more than a fanzine. This is a magazine. And this is kind of like, look at the stars is kind of like a prototype for stuff like the Watford Treasury, which is, you know, the, the work that goes into the design mm. of it is as much as, it, as much as it was. And that kind of started for Colin, I think, on look at the stars. But clearly, it was proper, just word process. Oh, bloody hell, I've made a mistake. I'll just leave it in. Don't worry about it. No one will notice. And then I say, sending it off to get it mass printed so we never sat there with a photocopier and staplers like the fanzines of the 1980s the, the music fanzines you hear people like Danny Baker talking about stapling copies of his fanzine together before he goes and sold out so we never actually had to do that but yeah it was a labour of love is, a, is the best way to describe it yeah stuff uh, well I, I was a fan. I loved it. It was uh, every, every time it was out because it was genu genuinely the writing in it was so funny and so beautifully sarcastic. But I'm so glad we're doing this now where we don't have to stand out in the rain mm -hmm. trying, to, trying to sell those anyway. That's fine. So a couple of kind of bona fides questions here, which you don't have to prove at all, but we just want to know. Mm. Best Watford game you ever saw 
excluding Leicester, excluding Wolves semi-final. Oh, blimey. Um, we didn't say you were going to get an easy ride this season. No, I didn't, yeah. expect, one, didn't expect one. Either. <laughs> I am going to go for, because I've, I've, I've said this before, and I'm going to go for it again. It's Liverpool away in 99. Yeah. Liverpool away in 99, and win the Tommy Mooney goal. And the reason mm. for that is Graham Taylor. Because you'll remember this. Graham Taylor said at the start of that season, talking about going into the Premier League, how the Premier League was then. And it's not much different now. But how the Premier League was then, every single club had world-class players in their team. And we were going in with blokes that had got promoted out of division, out of the third division with a few additions here and there. That Liverpool game, and he said it, his famous quote, sometimes we're going to get our bottom smacked, but every now and then we're going to bloody a nose. <laughs> Peter Kennedy curls one in. Mooney couldn't get that one away. Will come to Mooney again, and Tommy Mooney has put Watford ahead. Just a quarter of an hour gone. Well, it might say it was a bit fortuitous, but uh, he didn't miss his chance. Tommy Mooney scored nine goals last season. Watford's third game in the Premiership. He's got a vital one. Kennedy's free kick it was, putting pressure on the Liverpool defence. And the ball came off Mooney initially, but it came back to him. In fact, it was an excellent effort from uh, Williams getting stuck in there. And it was away, we were away at Liverpool, and it's the famous story. The players tell the famous story about getting off the train and hearing all the Liverpool cabbies, oh, you're going to get beat, you're going to get beat, and it drove them on. You found that bit out later. But on the day, it was just it was just such a moment of arrival. We deserved to be in the Premier League. That team had worked really, really hard. Mm. And it was such a good side, such mo- more than the sum of its parts, that team. And I, I look back more with with more yellow tinted glasses on that team than I probably do on the 80s team because I was only really a kid in the 80s that team for me the 98 98 99 team were just they're, they're still unparalleled in what in Watford in their history and to go there to Liverpool we'd had the three we'd been beat at home to Wimbledon hadn't we I think we'd got beat at Sunderland and then we got then we went there and we beat them 1-0 and every player in that team just put everything into it and that day was just such a moment of it was the first time we'd won at Liverpool because we'd never won there yeah. in the yeah. 80s. All those fantastic achievements in the 1980s. And here's Graham going back again. And do, do you know what? I'm going to start ticking off the stuff that I didn't do last time round. And we're going to start off. I'm going to beat Liverpool 1-0. And it's only then when you watch it on Match of Day, it's a brilliant shot of him going down the tunnel. And he's clapped the fans and he's let the players go over to the fans. And he's had, let the players have their moment. It's a brilliant shot. He, as he goes down the tunnel on Match of Day, he just goes punching the air like that. And you just go, come on, Graham. <laughs> Absolute legend. And it, yeah, that's the one. That's Liverpool away. Just because of what it meant, we were back, you know, and it, that season didn't pan out great for us. But just that day, it was just like, we're here. And we, you know what? We're going to rub shoulders with these teams again. We're going to beat them. We're going to make them look silly. We're going we're gonna to be Watford. And it was, yeah, that day, that day sticks out for me. Nice oh, answer. Obvious obviously, the caveat of the, of the obvious oh, ones. Oh, yeah. No, no. Oh, no. Don't, don't, don't expect there not to be caveats coming up here. <laughs> Top three players of all time, excluding Luther, excluding John Barnes, excluding Deeney. Three players. It doesn't have to be absolutely, you know, you, this doesn't have to be definitive. Who were the first three that come to you? I ordered Will Frostron. I named a goldfish after Will Frostron, so there's no higher accolade. 
No higher oh, that's what we for like eight-year-old to see. footballer, right, than naming a goldfish after him. My brother named his after John Barnes, so we had Wilf and Johnny the goldfish. Won't tell you how they, uh, what happened to Wilf and Johnny. It's a sad tale. Uh, yeah, typical, typical, typical life of a goldfish for eight years, eight-year-olds, I think. They didn't last very long. But yeah, so Wilf Rostrand, apart from, quite apart from the goldfish stuff, Wilf Rostrand's just superb wasn't he I mean I, I just used to love watching Will Frostrand play when I was a kid popping up scoring goals and all the rest of it so give you, I'll give you Will Frostrand as a first uh, a second one I'm going to go for a player from that 98-99 type of team because I just like that team and I'm probably out of that team going to go with it's difficult in it you go Johnson you go Mooney and all the rest of it but I'm actually going to go Robert Page topically Crazy. yeah Robert Page has obviously put the Wales squad out tonight as we're speaking and it was yeah. so Whatever else you say about the World Cup, for Robert to actually have this moment of going to coach Wales is amazing for him. What an achievement for him. And stands with the stuff he does his player. So Robert Page, gonna that's a bit of a curveball one. Modern era, let's go for a Pozzo era player, Almanabdi. Almanabdi. Yeah. Just he was um, beautiful to watch, wasn't he? Just un- unreal, absolutely unreal to, to see that a player that good had come to play for us and he'd come to play for us in the championship. And it's just like, yeah, the first time you saw him play, it's just like, Come on, he's 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 different class. So Al- Alman, that first season, the season we got promoted, and even the first season in the Premier League, when it doesn't it doesn't always spring to mind that he was good that season, but he was because he was playing out on yeah. the right on that sort of weird narrow midfield four that we I remember him at Stoke that season when we were Stoke in the Premier away, League. Yeah, and he scored yeah, a yeah. free kick against Aston Villa as well. So there you go, there's three quite random ones Will Frost and Robert Page I'm an empty I'd, I'd probably have three more if you ask me that question tomorrow oh absolutely <laughs> this is the, the moment you take those three out it's a bit like taking out the, the semi and uh, and Leicester it's like it suddenly go oh uh, mm. <laughs> that's the idea of it so favourite away ground in the 90s favourite away ground now and by the way you don't have to be working in this scenario it can be your good day out <laughs> yeah there you go. There's, um, there's a treat for you hypothetically 90s. I always used to enjoy Oxford. I don't know why. Oh, Probably because of the dreadful crap. one nil in '91 <laughs> when we stayed up. Oxford. That was, al- that was always Oxford. that was always a bit of a lively game. Oxford. Watford, we always Oxford, took loads. We always took yeah. loads there, and there were some good pubs near the away, near the ground that let away fans in. Oxford was a good day out in the '90s. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going Oxford for the '90s. Yeah. Modern. Modern. I still. I still love going to Anfield, and I think for Anfield. When you go to Anfield, I, I like Liverpool as a city anyway. But when you go to Anfield, again, my era growing up in, in the 80s and Liverpool were invincible and being taken to Anfield as a kid and seeing, you know, the noise and all the rest of it. And it still makes the hands, the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when we play at Liverpool. And when I do, oh, you never walk alone and all the rest of it. It is the most atmospheric stadium in the in the country, wherever. And I know they go quiet once the game kicks off, but for that sort of 10 minutes when the teams come out and, the, and they, you never walk alone, that is, that, is, that is an experience to be had, I think. Anyone that grew up in the 80s, I think, is probably always going to remember or, or, you know, have that feeling about Anfield because it was just a great place to watch football. And the side that they had there, I mean, you talk about being a kid. I mean, my first game was in was in 78, but that, that team... You know, in 82-83, coming second to Liverpool, mm. winning the runners-up spot against Liverpool in, in Bob Paisley's last domestic game, I think it was from memory. It was just was just stunning. And they, they were absolutely all things to all men. So, supporter from a young age, the support grows and you kind of move into, you know, into, into the kind of the fanzine part and that involvement. What happened with you kind of work-wise before you then came back into the club in a in an official capacity? Had, what, was, what was your journey back to the club from a working point? So, well, I mean, working-wise, I'd had loads of 
different jobs when I was younger, but I'd, I'd done sort of worked 10 years for a medical devices company uh-huh. and I'd done pretty well there and had been there for a long time. And um, I was managing stock control for the whole of the UK and Ireland by the, by the end of it. But in the summer of 2015, what that company did is it merged all of its... Um, they had a country, made a country manager, stock manager for every for every country in Europe, and they merged it all into Central Central Europe and made all the individual country managers redundant. So I thought I'd, I'd done. And it was pretty hardcore work and pretty stressful stuff at times, and I'd kind of thought, well, I'm just going to have a little breather mm-hmm. and then work out what I want to do next. I was going to have to summer off, watch a bit of cricket, just do nothing, and then worry about what I was going to do in the autumn. It was the summer that Watford had been promoted, and what happened with the support liaison officer role, the Premier League insist on every club having somebody in that role and mm-hmm. at that point the EFL do now as well but at that point only the Premier League did so what obviously the club didn't have a support liaison officer they had people that would do the bits and pieces that I started to pick up but there wasn't anybody who specifically it was their role so I saw it advertised and I kind of thought to myself all these years of the, the fanzine and being a fan and all the rest of it and read the job job spec and I was like I actually fancy having a go at it because they advertised it as a one-year contract they didn't advertise it as a permanent role. They put, well, okay. they put it out as a one-year contract because they didn't know, think of the club in 2015, not sure if you're going to stay there in the Premier League. We've got a lot to do to keep us there. So let's just, we don't know this role yet. So let's just put the put it out there with a one-year one contract and, and see what happens. So I applied for it, got it. And then a couple of months into that season, as the season was going better, then they obviously took the contract bit away and made it a, made it a permanent role with a, with a proper permanent sort of contract. So it was kind of almost luck and ju- luck more than judgment that I was just in the right place at the right time and I was ready for something different. So it was never a plan. I never sort of used to sit there thinking, God, I'd love to work for the club one day. Never really thought about, never really thought about that. But um, yeah, it just happened and it was just the right time for me and a role that felt like it would be a challenge and felt like it would be interesting and felt like it would be something that kind of combined what I'd been doing in the, in the supporter world for a little while. So yeah, it was kind of, it was more luck than judgment. I'd say it wasn't, it wasn't something that was planned, but I, it, the way it's turned out, I'm obviously, you know, really pleased with how it's, how it's turned out. So uh, it, like, like a good life is full of happy accidents and that's no bad yeah. thing. That's no bad thing at all. So when it start when it started and it, a massive amount of assumptions here, so correct me where I go wrong. Obviously you say I, I read the job description, but I get the feeling that the supporter liaison, they must've been, you must've been almost writing it as you went almost as it being such a, yeah. an early thing how how has it evolved because also the requirement or the will if you will of supporters is to get be that much closer to the club than we were in the 80s because mm. you know you, you just didn't have the kind of communication channels how, what, what was it like early days what are the kind of things that have changed and uh, uh, take was- us through that yeah, I think, again, it was kind of because, again, the club, it, it was a new role for the club. So the club weren't exactly sure what that role looked like. Again, people were doing bits and most of the work that I picked up was being done, but by various different people across the club. So to actually centralize the first, I did the first two things I did. The first thing was to make sure that I got to know and build relationships internally with all the different areas. So if you're going to be a support liaison officer, you need to know a little bit about what's going on in the shop. So if someone comes with a question or a query about something in the shop, you can answer it. Then you need to know a little bit about what happens in hospitality. Then you need to know a little bit about what's happening with the stewarding on match days, ticketing operations, so on and so forth. So you just start to build the blocks and build the relationships internally. That was the first step. And then obviously the second step was then going out into the world of the supporters and 
I was fortunate that I had some connections with people already that I knew from different sort of regional support groups and bits and pieces like that. And then obviously people like Colin who had done the fanzine with was still out in the, in the fanzine world. Some of the other people that I'd done stuff with in the fanzine days were, were doing blogs and podcasts by then as well. So I had, I did have little connections to, to, to use, to use as well, but the, the way the work, the right, the way we wanted the role to work is if it's going to truly be a conduit between the club and its supporters, then you need to be the voice of the supporters inside the club and you need to be the voice of the club when you're talking to supporters. And that's quite a, that's quite a skill. That's quite a, that's quite a tricky thing to do. And I always remember the first, the first fans forum that we did that I was there as a support liaison officer. I absolutely corpsed. I went up on the stage to introduce people. I couldn't even remember their job titles. I completely froze. And that was one of the times when I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go have a little bit of a rethink here about what I can do and what I can't do. Because I thought I had 150 fans. I can have them all laughing and have, give them all a laugh and then introduce some people that are going to be on panel. Nah, just absolutely dried up and it was horrible. But um, yeah, it's, it's real. It's a real trick. As I say, that that aspect of it is the, is the thing. It's being the voice of the supporters inside the club and the voice of the club when you're talking to supporters. It must feel it must feel at times like being between a rock and a hard place where neither of the parties possibly appreciate what you're doing, brokering on behalf of the other one. Each yeah, time. a little bit. I think I think the first when I look back on the SLO days now, the first four years, obviously the team was doing well, and as this theme will hopefully come out a few times during the rest of this conversation. When the team is doing well, yeah, people are happy, generally happy. So what they what's going on in other areas of the club and what's happening, people aren't people don't get quite as vexed about or as as worried about if the team team is doing what you want the team to do that is a fact there's no yeah. getting away from it there's no denying it and both sides of the equation there club and supporters must understand that the results are all with a professional football club the results are what drives how people are feeling inside and out inside and out supporters will feel terrible when the team isn't playing well but those of us that work at the club will feel that as well so you have that side of it and i think just taking a sort of step back on it as well mm-hmm. the first four years that i was in the role everything was pretty much great. You know, we had the the first season when we stayed up, we had the second season when Mazzari tailed off towards the end, but generally pretty much that was a pretty good season. Then we had the old Marco Silva thing, Javi comes in and saves the day and we have a good season that season. And then you have the 2019, the 2018-19 season, which was without doubt the best season I think this football club has had outside of the Elton and Taylor era and probably better than a lot of the seasons inside the Elton and Taylor era as well because that team was in the top 10 of the Premier League the whole season yeah we dropped out and finished 11th but we were 7th, 8th, 9th the whole season we got to the cup final we were watching ridiculously good players playing like Delefeu, Capu, Takore, Pereira ridiculously good footballers playing for Watford at Vicarage Road and that was the high watermark that for that's that season without a shadow of a doubt was the high water mark of the time that I was at the that was yes alone. And yeah, there were always little things and there was there were things to do, and there were things that there were decisions that the club made that had to be explained. Or the big one that happened was the the upper ground Taylor stand when the extra hospitality spaces came in and everybody had to move 12 seats. So, you know, there was big jobs of work and there were things that there were decisions that the club had made that supporters wouldn't like. And I think that is another key part of the role because you're not going to please supporters all of the time and you're not going to make, as a club, we're going to make decisions that won't be popular on occasion. And I think the support liaison officer role is a key one to, to understanding why the club has made a decision and to help with communicating that to supporters. Very good. I love the idea of your dad basically going, being told he had to move kind of like 12 spaces to the left. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's funny because I, I always I always come back to this example as well when you're talking about that move of the 12 seats because so many Graham Taylor stand season ticket holders got in touch and you know there was a lot of unrest and a lot of unhappiness about that decision but the bottom line is every single all those season ticket holders not every single one there were some that stuck to their word but all these people that were going I'm not going to renew my season ticket you've seen the last of me and he had like 200 odd emails that I had in that period of time and I kept them all and because I'm me, I kind of kept an eye on who was renewing their season ticket. And the vast majority of those 200 people still renewed their season tickets. So you have this thing as well where you've got, yes, we make decisions that upset people, but people still want to come. Because it's not like if you go to, if you shop at a supermarket and you like shopping at Sainsbury's, but some Sainsbury's make a decision you don't like, you can just go down the road and start shopping at Waitrose. Yeah, absolutely. And if your football club makes a decision you don't like, you can be cross about it and you'll be upset about it. But the bottom line is that the vast majority of people will always still come back because it's ingrained because they can't do anything about it because the love is there and they want to be a part of it still. I think that's a, that's a, that's a key thing as well to, to always try to sort of remember when you're talking about the supporters and their supporters' attachment and involvement with their clubs. And it's and it's a key thing that has to be articulated to the supporters. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here because I don't think I need to. But, you know, the, the, the point about them being there should also actually be a point of pride that they've come here and they've stayed, um, you know, from, 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 one, from one the job that you've done. But yeah. secondly, also, because, as you say, you are dealing with a, oh, God, I'm going to use the word product here, but a season <laughs> ticket is a purchase that is right. made but more than simply a financial transaction. It is an emotional, you know, attachment, as you say. It's far more like that. And therefore, it must be a harder role being an SLO, a supporter liaison, than it is a customer support person in any number of roles where as you say they're going to go off somewhere else it's it's a different level of um tact i imagine required in dealing with it i think so and and there's another example to bring to bear when you're talking looking at it from this side of point when when supporters pass away you talk about that emotional attachment and that is one of again a key part of the support liaison officer role for me is when a supporter passes away and the family we we're always at great pains to say to the family whatever you want to do with that season ticket is fine by us if the support passes away during the season and the family wants to carry on using the season ticket it's absolutely fine we'll worry about what we do with it in the summer when the renewal time comes along for now you just carry on using it we'll give you a little note so that you can if a steward stops you you know the right person at least you've got a little note you can show someone but all of that sort of stuff that emotional attachment to having a season ticket and being a season ticket holder is never better seen when you are talking to the family of the supporter that's passed away because they want to keep it and quite often what happens is you end up with when you get to the summer and the renewal it changes into a different name of the, a different member of the family takes the season ticket on quite often a child or a, or a brother or a sister or whatever someone else within that family takes that season ticket on and you just switch we switch it over and switch it into the new name and all the rest of it so that emotional attachment isn't just your season ticket and everything like that so it's back to that part I think yeah you actually sorted that for my old man actually when he passed away he did a bit in a program for him and uh, yeah and then I kept the season ticket on for the the remainder of the the season and various other family members came in because the hardest thing for me was going to the next match uh, which was Liverpool at home and sitting in that seat and his seat being empty it was just absolutely horrible so I think in the end I moved down to the the lower ground side because I just couldn't sit there anymore the fact that he wasn't sat there you know week in week out of me was absolutely horrible so yeah I'm, and that's and that's and that's the other thing that we always try to say in those sort of situations that's what we try to be flexible about it we try to be understanding about it because some people will be adamant they want to keep that seat 
We're not losing that seat. We're having that seat. Mm. Other people will feel like you, Justin. I, I, I actually, I don't want to sit here without that loved one. Yeah. So I'm going to move. I'm going to sit somewhere else. Yeah. And so we try. And again, it's it's just about. It's an example. It's a, it's an example that's you know look, we've we've lost some some supporters that every a lot of people know over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Not just you know, Ben, but people like Kevin Norman has passed Kevin away. Norman. Yeah, Kev. And there's yeah. a lot of a lot of support that people know really well. And again, not I'm not blowing our own trumpet here, but we're in touch with Kevin's family on a regular basis about tickets for games and stuff. Just trying to keep that that support going through his son and his granddaughter. So those things are all going on and all happening. And it goes back to a point I made earlier. What's happening on the pitch? All of those things are still going on. They're still here and they're still part of it. But when the results on the pitch aren't where you want them to be, that's where we can tend to lose sight of those sorts of things. No, very yeah. good point. Very good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting because obviously we've relatively recently been been celebrating the hundred years of the Vic. Mm-hmm. And we're we're talking about, you know, like emotional attachment to a place where you are. As you say, we then moved under the scoreboard. You know, you get your place and it 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 becomes a part of your experience, your supporter experience, your match day experience. And for example, one of our contributors, Wendover Horn, or you'd know him as Greg Theaker, uh, when his father passed away and he speaks, he will forever speak very, very highly of Scott Duxbury because he organized him for him and he basically got his dad's seat in his office where he's got all of his Watford memorabilia. Um, it, there is a darker turn. It, that, that that office does include a signed photograph of Trevor Senior and Dave Bassett, but we'll let that one go under the water. That that's that, that's that's between that's between Wendover all and his conscience. I'm just saying there, Greg. But all, a lot of this stuff goes on, and and as you say, it doesn't necessarily get seen all the time. One yeah. thing that was always hugely visible was on Twitter or on Facebook. Lots of people saying. I'm flying into the country for the first time and I'm a lifelong Watford fan. How do I get tickets? And invariably, invariably, yeah, you're smiling. You know where I'm going to go with this one. People would go, oh, our state messenger. He could do that. And you were like, you were like known as the, either the nicest person or the biggest international tickets out. I haven't decided which yet. Um, in order to facilitate that, how many requests for tickets from international fans? Because the fan base is now, and it's something that we, we go on an awful lot about, is a lot more potentially remote. People don't live always so close. People can't always attend. But just because they're remote doesn't mean that the emotional attachment or the importance is any less. In fact, when they need to come to a game, they probably really need to come to a game. What's that like to deal with from your end as the SLO and since? So you get to, there's, there's two sides to that. There's two types of support, of overseas supporter. You've got the expat supporter that grew up watching Watford that moved away yeah. quite commonly to Australia, most of them to Australia, it has to be said, but that that's one type. And then you've got the newer fans that have come along since the, in the Premier League era, especially what you get a lot of in the Premier League is, I know diehard football supporters don't like to think about this, but there's a lot of football tourists. So mm-hmm. they'll just get in touch and they don't care what game they come to as long as it's a Premier League fixture. So those people are pretty easy because you can sell them a ticket for a Watford v Swansea or a Watford v Huddersfield in that season. And you just kind of, you you kind of got to be sensible about it because what you can't do and the games that we don't put on or the Premier League fixtures that we didn't put on general sale, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, because then you're not, you've got no way of knowing whether they're fans of those clubs or not. So that's where you then have to be quite, you have to be quite careful about what you did because 
lo and behold, whenever you play Liverpool, the amount of sudden, suddenly new fans that Watford had all over Europe and the States coming in, for, oh, just how it happened to be coming in the day we were playing Liverpool. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah, to, yeah. you had to be quite canny about it and you had to be quite... So we would always, if they were coming in and they were adamant that the only game they could possibly come into would be the Man United one. So we would just like do give them a little sort of challenge or something. It's like, well, you know, we don't normally sell tickets for to, to overseas supports for a Man United game. But if you've got anything that kind of proves you're a Watford supporter, then, you know, send it through and it might help your case sort of thing. So you'd end up that people would then email you back with a picture of them when they were eight years old in a Watford overcoat kit or whatever and you go all right I'll do you a ticket that's fine you clearly got it so <laughs> the other thing that you would do as well is you would we would you would send back replies that would basically say sorry that our tickets are not available to overseas supports for this particular match but here's a list of fixtures you can come into and the list of fixtures you can come and be your Swansea's your Huddersfield's yeah. Yeah. not being honorable to those clubs but Burnley some of those other teams that we played in the Premier League era that didn't have the big followings. So that would weed them out as well, because if you got a reply back to that saying, oh, yeah, I'll have a ticket for Watford Swansea, brilliant. Fantastic, have a ticket for Watford Swansea. But if they were Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea fans trying to pull a fast one, you didn't hear from them again. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. there were little ways, there was loads of different little things up as you're doing it. The big one for me was the cup final because we knew we had to do something for the cup final. And we ended up, I don't know if you ever remember reading on the ticketing details or not, but we ended up doing a ballot for overseas supporters. So we held something like 300 tickets back because we knew we would get loads and loads of requests from fans that were scattered across the world. Watford have got to a cup final. I'm coming back for a cup final. So we did it as a ballot and we didn't then, because we were playing Man City, mm-hmm. I think we were okay. We felt like we were okay with the whole big club thing. If it had been Liverpool or a Man United or one of the London clubs, we might have been a little bit more careful about it. But Man City don't tend to attract that 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 level. That level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we felt quite comfortable doing it. And if we end up with a couple of City fans, we end up with a couple of City fans. Let's just do it. And we did it as a ballot and we ended up with 300 and we put them all together just because it was the easiest way to do it. And it actually ended up being one of the play- first places I noticed on the cup final day, one of the first places where people were waving the flags when it was 5-0, because I think they were just so happy to be there. And you could see that little, that little, yeah, that little, I knew exactly where they were. And I could see it from where I was sitting, a little bank of 300 or so Watford fans. But the people that I know that were in there that I spoke to afterwards were just like, it was so nice to actually be with other people that had flown in from Hong Kong that morning to come to the cup final. And, you know, people that had, left their families behind to come back for a couple of days so there's one fan I, I mentioned Hong Kong because I know of one fan who bunked off work please kill me for saying this I, I'm not going to mention his name for it he bunked off work <laughs> on the Friday, bunked off work on the Friday so that he could fly back in for the cup final went straight back to Heathrow after the cup final got back and landed back in Hong Kong at like 6 o'clock on the Monday morning and went straight into work literally had a change of work clothes <laughs> wow straight into that's, work on the Monday morning that's and he's like, he'd, he'd, played, he'd played it all up on the Thursday as well he'd done that he'd gone into the office going, oh, not feeling not feeling that not great, feeling great. Yeah. not feeling too well today yeah. and then it sort of oh. disappeared for the Friday come back on the Monday feeling a bit better now thanks yeah the, the weekend in London watching my team in the cup <laughs> Lovely, but yeah those overseas the overseas stuff is yeah it was it was always, but you just learn and you could tell and you could see when people were grifting and you could see when people were genuinely Watford fans. And you'd get some emails that helped you because some emails would be like war and peace. You'd have like 500 word treaty, treaty on why I have to have a ticket for this match because I'm coming back and I haven't been for 10 years and my granddad first took me and all the rest of it would be there. And you'd be able to tell, you'd spot it straight away and you'd just go, yeah, that's one we can do straight away. So there was lots of different ways of, 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 of dealing with them queries. For a moment there, I thought you might have said, right, you know, somebody would get on the phone and you say, right, who, who played left back in 1978? <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> give, give them a bit of a questionnaire. So see if you could root them out. That'd be good. That'd be good. What, what were the, some of the 
some of the stranger requests as, as you know, in, in your time as SLO, and then let's move into your your new role. The, the, you'd get these weird. You'd get these weird. It was always around players that Watford should sign. And I remember getting an email from a, I remember getting an email from a fan, and he had listed three hundred. I kid you not, three hundred players that he thought Watford should sign, and they're all in positions. I've still got the email somewhere. You stopped they're doing that now, haven't you, Peter? You don't do that anymore, do you? <laughs> hey, I've cut it down to two hundred and fifty. I'm not about that. It was completely random because bear in mind that this was this was at some point in the last five or six years. I can't remember exactly when it was, but like 2017, 2018. And the name that always sticks out from the list of 300 players for some reason is Kieran Richardson, who by that point was long gone as a Premier League. Say, that's 35. Yeah, he probably was at that point. And it's like, <laughs> and you looked at this list of players and you were just like, I think this person's actually on something here. And it's to actually like take the time, but to take the time to detail it all out, what we should sign these players. We don't have enough strength in depth here, so we should be looking at these back 300 players that's quite a know. squad 300 yeah forest with their 20 players 300 yeah <laughs> football does tend to attract its anoraks I, I don't know who i'm thinking about there but it does obviously <laughs> how long were you in the slo role for and because it, it felt like was it four or five years so it was to so say the slo role so because he I was gonna say it. it felt like a long time it got combined with a disability access officer the job as well so they combined the two jobs so I was doing both things so what actually happened was I moved away from the SLO side of the role and kept the disability access officer side of the role and went into the EDI team when we started to extend the EDI team a little bit mm-hmm. so it all happened summer before last so 20 summer 2020 so I was still the SLO through the season when the stadium was closed which is the weirdest thing in the world because turning up to work every other week um, I know how I know how fortunate I am that I got to go to all the home games in that season. I realised mm-hmm. how fortunate I am. But it was really weird because I was doing stuff like looking after media or dealing with the TV crews that were there. or somewhere. There was always something for me to do, but it wasn't what I was used to doing. So it's such an odd year. And I think it took a lot out of me in terms of the SLO role. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of found it difficult because the, be- the best thing about being the SLO is if you've got someone that wants to talk and someone that wants to have a go or has a problem or wants to have a chat about something meet up with them on a match day and have a little chat with them on their way into the ground. Don't take too much out of their, their match day ritual, but arrange to meet them for 10, 15 minutes to have a chat. It was, it was the best thing ever because people can send shitty emails and be cross on an email or ring you up and have a go. But if you meet them face to face, they'll, they'll talk and they'll have a conversation. And so much of the art of conversation has gone out of the modern world. And that season, not being able to have those conversations with supporters face to face every other week, it took a lot out of my my wanting to do that role. The other thing that had happened is because the the EDI, the Equality, Diversity, Inclusion bit, it was becoming a bigger, bigger part of what we were doing. And it's that bit to me feels like when you talk about my childhood and coming to Watford in the 1980s, that work feels like it belongs of that era or that it started in that era. And I got more and more interested in that side of the work and less and less interested in the pies are cold, the beer is flat. There's something, you know, the queues at the shop, the queues at the details and all that sort of stuff. Hi, everyone. It's Nick Wright. You're listening to Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. So I was kind of, it kind of, that during that, during that season, it kind of evolved. And then in the summer of 2020, that's when they then said, well, let's, you know, they offered me then to bring, the, they wanted to bring the disability access into the EDI team because that's probably where it belongs because disability is one of the protected characteristics. So I was happy with that choice and I was happy to go and work for the EDI lead at the time and leave the SLO role behind. So summer 2020 is when I first moved across 
And then what happened was the per- um, Sam, who was the EDI lead before me, she left the club in April, the end of last season. And I was lucky enough that the club offered me the role to the, the opportunity to step up into the EDI lead role, which I did did in April. So I've only been doing that 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 leading that role for about the last four, five, six months. The reason I say feels like a long time. Thank you, Carlos. Always, always. You're welcome. You're um, welcome. Is the fact that obviously we had one of the girls who was in place for a short time, moved on, etc. And it always felt like it was. I could almost, I could almost envisage people sending things going and going. Who do I get a ticket from? And everybody replying, "Go speak to Take Messenger." Great guy yeah. again. And I'm thinking, oh my god, you must, you must have two desks that you're trying to sit kind of <laughs> you're, you're trying to sit across. Last season, last season was good because we were. Well, quite close even so Meg who took over from me as SLO she'd yeah. come from so she'd been the SLO at West Ham so she had the experience of doing the job but not necessarily the experience of Watford as a club so when she came in we all thought brilliant you know she'll bring a different perspective because she's done the job and I knew her from working because the SLOs in the Premier League there's kind of like a network so you have three, four in-face meetings and when you're playing against each other you speak a lot during the week oh what can our fans expect when they get to the in West Ham's case, Olympic Stadium or whatever. So you'd be on the phone to each other, sort of, yeah, tell them to avoid that pub, go, don't go here, go here, do that. So we knew Meg and we knew Meg would, would come in and do a good job, which she did. Unfortunate for Meg that we had such a difficult season and then she got a job. She found a different job at another club that she was offered and she she chose to move to that. So for last year, it worked really well with, with Meg to a point, but with her going on so quickly, the guy that's now in the SLO role is a guy called Chris, Chris Hall. Yep. He worked in the shop previously, Chris. Yeah. So he's, he's got the Watford connection okay. because he's worked in the shop for a number of years. Okay. So Chris is building up his knowledge of the supporters and getting out there and starting to meet people. But it's a difficult transition because you're kind of like, you want to be there and you want to be the, the, the face for the supporters and all the rest of it, but you've got to build that up. And maybe I had the luck, a slight luck in 2015 of knowing a number of supporters before I even got to that point. So I had a bit of a head start. So Chris is doing a great job learning and, and working and finding out. Just want fans to know that he's there first off mm-hmm. and yeah. to engage with him and talk to him and get in touch with him and, and drop him emails and, and help him to go on that journey of, of getting to know the supporters and being able to be that conduit because the role is so important and it, we do still have the role and it, and it's, I just, I just hope supporters do start to get to know Chris and, and start to send him stuff and start to, if I get anything, if I get anything still coming in, I still get, I got one today, someone that got tickets off an overseas supporter that got tickets off me a couple of Christmases ago. So I sent that straight to Chris to deal with this time. And it's that sort of, that sort of stuff's great, but yeah, the role is, the role is important. And I think supporters, I've forgotten a little bit about that role and what it can what it can do and how it can work. And so I just encourage people to chat to Chris and get to know him and, and get in touch with him. No, agreed. Agreed. Justin and I had we, we had the, the great pleasure and privilege indeed of interviewing Anne Swanson in her stand, in her oh, seat. Wow. Didn't didn't stop anybody turning the PA on, but there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but Chris was Chris was with her because um Barry wasn't wasn't well. So he, he was with her the whole day. So we, we kind of said hello. And we were mentioning a number of ideas and they said, send it in. Send it in if you've got an idea, you know, kind of, and I think that's that's where we should be kind of charging to. Let's let's take a take a, a look at the, at the new role and a really interesting observation that I thought you you made there when we, when we were talking there when you said about the EDI stuff kind of resonated with stuff that you remember back from the 80s yeah. and again and again i'm going to talk to a bit of the Anne swanson bit here was when we were talking to and our podcast with Anne swanson will be out um after the bristol city game uh, the, the following week so you'll be able to hear that but she says basically it was graham's idea he wanted women and children to be able to come along 
to the ground yeah. and be safe and for it to be, you know, a good place and a nice place. And and, and also she kept, you know, Justin in, you know, kind of in check because he was in the junior hornets. And I imagine he, he needs that. He does he need was, that. He was nothing Ann likes more than meeting people that were a junior hornets and still giving them a tip around the ear. There's nothing that Ann <laughs> I think she enjoys <laughs> it. Yeah, no, yeah. she enjoys She's it. Go fierce, as well. Don't worry. <laughs> so it sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you see the EDI as the continuation of Graham's yeah. vision for the club. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think going to use some phrases here now that you see on social media, and you get a lot of the equality, diversity, inclusion work that the club is doing at the moment. You know, the modern world is very focused on this type of stuff, and we only have to look in the next couple of weeks. We're not going to hear about, you know, we're going to hear about Qatar World Cup. We're not going to going to hear about the football. We're going to hear about all the human rights things that are going on. So so I think it's a, it's obviously something that's a key touch point and and it's very very often now. But for Watford, it does go. It harks back to the 1980s. It's the family stand. It's the family enclosure. It's that type of thing, making the stadium inclusive. But it's also the stance that the club took on racism. And I know there's anecdotal evidence. I've spoken to players that played for Watford in that era who remember Graham at half time. They remember Graham going into the crowd at Vicarage Road and pulling a Watford fan out by the scruff of their neck and literally himself marching them over to the stewards because he'd been racially abusing a player from the opposition side. So this isn't stuff that's new. There's another There's another anecdote. Again, I don't know anyone that was actually there that has confirmed it, but I've heard this story more than once about Elton John going on the PA at a match against Tranmere, I think it was the story I got told, going on the PA because some fan, Watford fans were racially abusing some Tranmere players and saying, I will close this ground down if our supporters don't stop racially abusing visiting players. So it's just two stories that I've heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't there. I can't say for definite hand on heart those two things happened, but I'm not going to disbelieve the people that told me those stories because I know yeah, that yeah. all of that work, everything that we're doing now, everything that we're doing to try and make this club inclusive, it goes back. We were the first club. We were the only club that were doing this stuff in the late 1970s and the early 1980s. Everybody looks it from the hooliganism side, right? You look at the hooliganism, we didn't have fences up. Yeah. The only club in the country that didn't put fences up to cage fans in. And that's another part of all of this. The, what, what was happening at other football clubs wasn't happening at Vicarage Road. And we're, we're, we're lucky in a lot of ways because our supporter base is not inherently racist. Our supporter base are not unpleasant people. You know, there's a, the odd the odd person or whatever, but our supporters, I genuinely don't believe that our supporters are are the sort of people that would indulge in discriminatory behaviour. I really don't. But there's incidents. There are still incidents, even at Vicarage Road, even last season. 58 incidents were reported via our WE campaign. And so for us, this work is absolutely a continuation of it because it's exactly what Graham and Elton would have been doing. If they were here now, running the club in the way that they ran the club, they would absolutely be calling racism out. They would absolutely be asking supporters to report it if they hear it in the stadium. No doubt about it in my mind. And I think from 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 where we are today, I just think what we've done, the work we've done with the We campaign is great, and the you know the, the stuff we've done behind the scenes, and we're getting people reporting things now. But what you want is for supporters to buy into it as well and to understand this isn't some new passing bandwagon that we've just jumped on. I hear the word Wokeford. I hear supporters call us Wokeford. Great if that's what you want to call us to make it. You understand it, then brilliant. Because for me, the the real literal meaning of that word is somebody that understands that something like racism exists in 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 the world and that understanding of it and to to know it exists and to be willing to fight it and to be willing to call it out that's exactly what Watford Football Club should be doing because it's what we've always done for the last since I was a child and coming to the ground it is what we've always done it's not new it's not some passing fad it's what Watford Football Club should be and should do 
So when you get a report through then on this, mm. how does the process work? Because obviously it could be open to abuse. People could just think, mm. I don't like the guy in front of me, so I'm going to report him for being racist. And then I assume you get a report. To, I mean, I don't know if you've had this happen or not. But what is the actual process from the first report that comes into you and, and then how it's dealt with after that? It all it all very much depends on what we get. So we, we it depends on what we have. So if we get a report in that basically says, I heard someone shouting the N-word an opposition player and you go oh it was somewhere about 10 rows back and I wasn't quite sure where I'd ever and I didn't see you shouted it so you go well that hasn't given us much very much to go on there so we'll record it that would go that would be one of our 58 incidents if you like from last season it would be recorded so that we can record the fact that a racist word was shouted at a footballer great we can record it but we can't do very much more so you go from that extreme to another extreme that I'll give you from last season at a game where five people five different people emailed in about the same supporter and said that the same that supporter said what they suppose or alleged to have said. That one becomes very, very easy because then you've got a body of evidence and you've got five different people saying this happened. It's a fairly reasonable chance that that happened. So stuff like that, then we would speak to Hearts Police because we have their involvement in the campaign and we try to make sure and see whether it's something that they would pick up and that they would deal with and investigate. And if it isn't, then we'll take it back ourselves and we'll deal with it and we'll bring that supporter in to talk to them. So lots of different ways of handling of handling things and you have to judge each one on its merits because you can't just sort of say well okay this has been said the point you made a minute ago we did get an example last season where somebody kept reporting a group of youngish lads sitting in front of him and we got to the bottom it could three games in a row he reported them and funnily enough it was while meg was still here myself and meg even went and sat in the row nearby and watched them and we were like nah they're just they're just boisterous they're just enjoying themselves they're just having fun this like, person that's reporting them obviously doesn't like the fact that they're noisy and he's and noisy them of being racist so we got to the bottom of that one after a couple of games we've been continuing to report it so we will we will deal with each one on its merits and we will work through them and try to make sure that we're being fair try to make sure we're giving people the opportunity to put their side of a story as well and deal with it and work through it and and try to so many of what of the, the calls that we had last year and the reports we had last year ended up with us just having chats with supporters and a little bit of education, a little bit of that's why it's not acceptable to say yeah. that word anymore. In the, yeah, yeah. We all go away. We've done, we did a couple of behaviour agreements. There are supporters out there that have got behaviour agreements because we had them in and we talked to them and we weren't 100% convinced that they would go away and never do anything again. So we asked them to sign something mm. that basically says, oh, I've attended these calls, I've attended these education meetings. I understand it if I'm accused of doing something like this again i'll get a ban no questions asked right. but you can come back you sign this agreement it's all cordial no one forces them to it we don't put around behind their back and make them sign it it's all very cordial if you would like to sign this you can come back to matches if you don't want to sign it then fine you can stay out let's mm. try to deal with each one accordingly and try to deal with each one on its merits and did you feed back to that guy that reported those lads that yeah. they're just having a bit of fun. There's there's no malice there or anything. Yeah, and then yeah, we did, and we go. We went back to that individual, and that individual ended up moving his seat because we sort of said to him, "Look, if you don't like sitting with them, there's no need Move. to accuse them of." Yeah. And, and for me, the, the whole racism thing it is it is probably the worst thing you can be accused of inside a football inside of a football stadium that's likely to have happened, right? So I think for me, if you're accusing someone of being racist, you better be sure that they're being racist. 
because don't be making it up because that comes back to you. That mate, doesn't that doesn't that doesn't look good on you. Mm. So yeah, that individual ended up moving their seat. So this segues nicely into a proper conversation and an upfront and honest conversation. I think in recent times, Watford have put out about the G word against our local rivals, mm-hmm. uh, rivals Luton. Yeah. Now I attended the game. I heard that word. I used that word mm-hmm. during the game. Now little did I know, little old me in the uh, in the rookery stage. Dave Messenger isn't like Darth Vader. You don't hear the music. You don't hear him coming. He just appears in a puff of smoke. And I had the dreaded email. I had an email from the club, from Dave Messenger, to say, listen, mate, in no uncertain terms, you've been seen, heard, whatever it is, using the word. We've told you not to use it. Let's have a chat. And you know what? To be fair, it was a difficult conversation for me because you're getting your pants pulled down. It's the football club that you love. And the term, as you've just said there, racism, you know, that, that scares the bejeebas out of me because, I, you know, I may be many things, many, many things. Racist isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. But education-wise, and in, in terms of what that word means, having that and having the opportunity as well, which, which, which I'd like to publicly thank you for, for giving me that opportunity to have that conversation with yourself and the other German who I won't name because, you know, I don't know his circumstances, but to have that conversation was, you know, a little bit of an eye opener for me. And, and you know, and, and we shared conversations in that room, uh, which I won't repeat on here, but you know, there's still stuff going on far worse than that in, in, yeah. in our club. And, and that's the big, that was the biggest thing that I took away from that, that, you know, whether it be football society, whatever it is that we, you know, we, we, we still have this problem here and that that's why you're, your roles and what you do there are, are massively important. You know, I, I've, I've said to you, and again, I'll say it here on this podcast, I am sorry for, for you know, what I said. Um, and that's not because, and I'll put this out there, Dave hasn't said to me, if you don't fucking apologise on this podcast, you're getting banned for life. But yeah. not at all. You know, I, I'm quite, I'm big enough and ugly enough to put my hands up and say, look, uh, you know, my bad. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that I would say to people. It's not about... You know, it's not a personal attack. It's not about, it's a proper adult conversation and trying to get that, that, that message across. And that's probably what I really want to add to this podcast, you know, from my own experience more than anything, you know, if somebody was to say to me, and I've had somebody, I've had somebody approach me recently who received an email about, you know, they shouted something. It wasn't any, anything like that hmm. towards somebody who, who was at the club and they've got caught and they're like, well, what do you think is going to happen? I said, listen, just be honest, be upfront and you'll be fine. You know, that, that's the biggest thing that I can say to people. Be, be honest, be upfront, but, you know, think. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're doing. You know, it's easy to blame the, the beer and, and, and so forth. You know, and I, I was beard up and I, at the time I, I was doing what a lot of people were doing because it's local rivals, you get caught up in it. It's, it's, it's difficult, the occasion, isn't it? So isn't it? it is the, the occasion, occasion. yeah. Occasion. And, 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 and you use the term, Dave, and it, I, I suppose it's, this is the bit that I guess the young, the young people amongst us, the, the, the new up-and-coming supporters will, will struggle with, and it's, it's the word banter yeah. and, where, and where that line draws. You know, that, that, that's a difficult I mean, I, I mean, I've seen pictures and videos of, of Watford supporters wearing masks, you know, wearing things over their face. Yeah. Never seen that in my lifetime. Yeah. So that, so there's, you know, there's, there's a change, but I, I think you, you touched on it beautifully about what you're trying to achieve from, from Graham Taylor's day and something I'm massively passionate about. I know, I know Peter and Justin are, are, are both the same and yourself, you know, what, what, what Graham Taylor was about and what this club is about. And if, and if that's the message, then, then we should all be behind that, you know, being Watford supporters. I mean, you know, the, the conversation that we had, it, it does you great credit to, to publicly say the things you just said, Carl. Absolutely. Yeah. I think 
with that particular chant. I think there's a, the point to address here is that I think there's a, a lack of understanding of how offensive that word actually is. And I think there are other racist words that everybody knows. I'm not going to use them even for yeah. context because yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, can't yeah. stand the words. You know the words I'm thinking of, right? And the G word is on a level with those words in the eyes of the law. That is where that word is. It is a racist word. There is no there is no debate about that. There's no, oh, it's banter. It isn't banter. It is a racist word. And for our fans to be using it, we understand, we get it, we know. I'm a Watford supporter of longstanding, as we've established earlier on. I probably used the word as well, chanting back in the day mm-hmm. when I was a fan before I worked at the club, because there wasn't an understanding of how offensive that word is. And that's the message that we're trying to put out there. And the comms that we put out ahead of the Luton game was very, very deliberately worded to try and start this dialogue and to try and make people the, the first port, if you like, of first port of call of helping our supporters to understand that we need to move away from that word. And I think the fact that fans chanted it again in the Luton game, we're not naive. We knew that they were going to. We knew that hundreds, yeah. hundreds of fans were going to join in. We knew there would be a little bit of, well, I'm going to sing it even more because the club's not telling me, telling me I can't sing it. I get that too. And I understand that fans have sung that chant for a very, very long time. It's been part of the Watford, the Watford chanting for a very long time. But now's the time for it to stop because now's the time for us all to acknowledge and understand where that word is, which I think you've, 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 you've put it better than I ever could, Carl, in the way that you just spoke about it. It's time to acknowledge what that word is and it's time for our fans to stop using it. It's as simple as that. If we're the club that we all believe that we are and if we still pr- pr- want to be this family club and we want to live the ethos that Graham Taylor and Elton John built. Regardless of what goes on on the pitch, what goes on on the pitch goes on on the pitch. It will always will and it always will. Off the pitch, we need to be hold ourselves to a higher standard. And I just feel like, for me, the time has come for us to acknowledge that word and acknowledge what it is and for fans to stop using it in that chant. There's a hundred other things we could we, you could chant at the end of that, that we could add at the end of that chant. And at the Luton game, there was some real good, you know, proper banter chants coming out of the Watford fans, if you like, towards the Luton fans. The one about, have you been ever been in the Premier League, for example? And, you know, yeah, the, the, the odd F word. If I, I'm, my, my six-year-old son started coming with me this year, and I understand that my son will be will hear swear words because he's coming to a football match. No one's ever going to try and take away from that. What we don't want is the fan that sits there effing and jeffing for the whole 90 minutes, that sort of thing we want to deal with. But if there's, you know, swearing and chanting and the odd people swearing and stuff like that, it's not about that. It's not about trying to take away the experience of being a football supporter. It's just about acknowledging that the use of a certain word needs to stop. But it's also about that. that There's nothing wrong with with having a laugh at our local rivals when we're just beating them 4-0. That's nice, easy, a nice, easy thing to say. There's nothing Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. I, I, I didn't quite catch that. What was the score? They've been our local rivals for 4-0. 4-0, Thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah. But the point, the point here again, going back to the, the, the point again, yeah, you know, is the, the, whole, the whole point of the chant, yeah, that particular word needs to stop. But we're not telling for, Watford fans to stop chanting and to stop having a laugh at your opponents and to stop that when it's genuinely good natured banter. Find something else to put at the end of that chant. Shout yawns or something like that, which I think some fans were doing that day at Luton Gate. Just find something different to end it with. Because I tell you what, Watford fans wouldn't do. And we mentioned a minute ago about other racist words that you all know, I don't need to say. Yeah. If that chant ended with you stinky one of those words, nobody would do it. No. So, so that's where we've got to put the G word. Put it on that level with those words that you're thinking of. If you're listening to this, you're thinking of the same words that the four of us are thinking of. Yeah, yeah. That G word now needs to go on that same level and just stop. Let's just stop using it. Bit of a curveball, though, Dave. If Luton used that chant, mm-hmm. so 
if they were just basically reversing it, what do you think of Watford? And then they use that at the end. What mm-hmm. sanctions would have come down on them if they were doing it at Vicarage Road on that day? So that then falls it back into talking about the we campaign and what we do if any incident happens in the way. And so I've dealt with one this morning for, with some Reading fans. But can you believe this, right? In the year 2022, there were some Reading fans doing monkey chants at Good two God. black lads in the Watford end. Right, okay. In the year wow. 2022, there was a couple of Reading fans that were doing monkey chants to a couple of black fans in our end. So we've been dealing with it today, right? And in those situations, if it's a visiting team, what we do is we pull as much information together as we possibly can and we share that with the visiting team. We had another incident with the, the Norwich match where a Norwich fan was ejected for using racist language. So that one was a lot easier because we had the fellas ticket and I think Norwich have already issued him with a stadium ban home and away so in that instance again with it being a chant a chant is always harder to deal with because if you've got 500 people chanting something as opposed to the lone wolf person that's just shouting something yes it's harder to deal with I'd like to think we would have come down on Luton fans that were chanting in that same instance because I'd like to think we'd come down on any visiting supporters so this isn't just about policing what for fans this is about making sure so, that our is free of that type of language right so yeah. should we ever play Spurs again will you be spend, sending Spurs a note saying anybody found using the Y word will be ejected from the ground or this, whatever. Yeah, no, they, they, there, you, there, we're going into another another sort of angle of a con- conversations that I've been having with fans about the G word. Mm-hmm. Y word is a different kettle of fish because what's happening with the Y word is that Tottenham fans have claimed that as a badge of honour. Right. Badge of honour, yeah. Right, so, but, but Jewish audience won't want to hear that, will they? Yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham are using doing an awful lot of work at the moment around that word. So if you go on the Tottenham website, there's a section of their website devoted to it. What they did is they went out and they canvassed their supporters. So they did a survey of all of their fans to try and understand which of their fans were offended by that word and which of their fans were not and then what they did is they then had to grip they had forums where they got groups of supporters together and they discussed it and they put the transcripts on those forums again on the website and what they're trying to encourage their fans to do at the moment is to read those transcripts and go on that website and engage with it and just try to understand that process and Tottenham's wish with that word their wording is very very different because they are saying we would like our supporters to move away from using this word what they're not doing is saying we don't want you to use this word because they want the supporters to come on the journey with them it's going to take them years and it is a longer longer piece of work that they're doing and fair play to Tottenham for taking on that piece of work and for doing it in such an involved way that involved their supporters because they knew they needed to because their supporters use that word as a badge of honor they use that word to describe themselves and it's it's a different conversation. What should happen about that word is a different mm. conversation. We, 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 we had a similar conversation when we when we last spoke about, you know, uh, rap music, certain, mm. certain genres of rap music and using the N-word, yeah. it, you know, in, in that. And it's, it's a similar sort of similar context. Yeah, it's a nuance. This is the thing about the subject as well. And this is one of the reasons why the EDI role fascinated me so much as I got more and more involved in it. It is so nuanced. There isn't... Yeah. You know, there is so much, there is so many conversations around it that are difficult. I'll give you another example. If you'd start talking about what happened with um, players that put stuff on social media that are not necessarily, I'll give you an example of a player sticking up for a, sticking up for a mate, sticking up for a player that he played with who had been accused of being homophobic. And that tweet garnered some interest and was was, right. was brought forward to I our think attention. I know who you're talking about. We spoke about. to the player concerned and we asked the player concerned. We, we, we explained to the player concerned why that wasn't the right thing for him to do. And the player concerned, to be fair to him, took it down. 
straight away took it down. So again, that's a, another way of handling one of these difficult conversations because all he was doing was sticking up for a mate. However, it was perceived that he was also joining in and joining that yeah homophobic so those conversations are never easy because then when you go back to those other supporters who still felt that actually we should have perhaps taken more of more of an action on it but we have to make that judgment call we have to make that judgment call about what's what's fair and what's right and on that particular incident we, we asked the player to take it down the player took it down so we considered that the player had listened to the reasons yeah. that we'd given them and had taken the appropriate action. So there's so many with this work, there's so many difficult things to deal with and, and hard things that don't have simple answers. Mm. And there's no simple answer to racism in society. There's no simple answer to make it go away. If there was, it would have happened years ago. There was some mm. sort of magic wand that you could wave to make it all go away inside or outside a football stadium. It would have been done years ago. Yeah. So I think that's another part, that's another part of why the work is at the forefront of that, because that's what we've always been. Yeah, I think that do you know what it is sometimes, and and I'll just say what I what I want to say, and then we we can put it into whatever context. But I almost feel like, especially at the football now, and and you know, play maybe even like just out and about actually in, in society. Let's say at the football, someone falls over, mm-hmm. and you go get up. You, I want to say it, get up your tart. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no context in that. What's in 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 terms of what I mean by saying yeah. that word. But somebody, you know, that that could offend somebody, you know, their sexual preferences, mm-hmm. a female, whatever, mm-hmm. and that that's that's where I find this so difficult to judge, you know, because we've all got different backgrounds. My background, you know, is is, is different to Justin's, is different to yours. So, so certain words in your life were used as yeah, just just part part and parcel of your you know of your your normal work day. Not necessarily meant in, in racial or a negative yeah. term, and, it, and it's quite hard to well, I, get well, I always, sort of slalom around it, shall I say? Yeah, <laughs> what I always talk about, Carl, is what I, what I always talk about when we're talking to fans, when we're doing the education pieces with fans, we talk about this bar, right? This imaginary bar, and that everybody is going to have words that they think are above the bar, and everybody yeah, yeah. have words that they think are below the bar. The words we've been talking about earlier are way and well and truly above. Mm-hmm the vast majority of people's bars. But other words like the one you just used probably fall quite below quite a lot of people's bar. So you have to, again, if you get someone, if someone's offended by the use of that word and reports it to us, we might have a quiet word with that supporter. Just, you know, try to think of a different word if you possibly can. Try not to use that word because we don't want the situation. But by the same token, we're not going to start to turn around and go, we'll put you on a behaviour agreement if you don't agree. Or we're not going yeah, yeah. to ban you for six games because you've used that word. We're going to be sensible about it. We're going to understand where it came from. But we're also going to appreciate that somebody took the time to report it to us because they were offended by it. And it's another of the areas when you start talking about the equality work and this whole thing about people shouldn't be offended and people shouldn't be, you know, taking words to mean whatever. The bottom line is, is if a person's offended, a person is offended. And it's not for me to decide what offends you, Carl, or what offends Justin or what offends Peter. That's not for me to decide. That's for each of you to decide what offends you and what doesn't. So to turn around and sort of say to people, oh, you shouldn't get offended by me using that word. That doesn't hold any water for me do because you, do you, actually you can't be the you can't be the judge of what what words offend other people. No one can. No, you don't actually yeah. have a right not to be offended. Is the other thing. I mean, that kind of is a thing that you know you don't actually have a right not to be offended. It's it's mm. it's a really peculiar thing. Offense. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's personal. And it goes back it? to that. It goes back to that bar, right? It goes back to what you what, what each person perceives to be above and below that bar. And, and you know, we haven't got we don't sit there at the ground at the club with a list of words. <laughs> no, no, but it <laughs> seems to me highlight is green, yellow, red. No, I agree. But it does seem to me that a lot again we judge each we judge each one on its merits. A lot of people's bars are quite low. I think just because they are, they are, and again, it's not for us to say that that's right or wrong my bar is probably a little bit higher than some people that do the job that I do because I've been around football for such a long time but yeah. I know what's above it and I know what's not acceptable and I know what words need to be it's like it would it would be ideal the word you use Carl would be ideal if people didn't use it by the same token it's not as offensive as the other words we've been talking about mm. it just isn't. there are conversations to be had and where we where we sit with the we campaign it's not just the conversation with the person that's been accused of something it's a conversation with the person that's made the report as well yeah. Going back yeah, to the yeah. example of the person that was accusing somebody of being racist that wasn't being racist, going back to that, helping that person come to that conclusion. Actually, do you know what? If you're not keen on the way those lads behave at football because they're too boisterous, why don't you just move your seat? Then yeah. it goes away. And that person shouldn't feel they have to move their seat. Of course they shouldn't, but you can just lead them to that to that point. There's, there's some interesting echoes from comments that you made earlier on about not being able to have conversations and the conversation and the the, the back and forth with, with, with people is, is a huge thing. And so I'm really pleased that we get to have this conversation to kind of talk about it. But there's also the word nuance that you used earlier on. And words always have a context that they sit in and a nuance that they sit in. So it must be a very difficult thing for you to, to have to, I'm going to use the old inverted commas here, kind of, you know, police a situation. It is also absolutely true that offence is taken it's not given and it depends on the threshold of the person and the sensibilities of the person sitting there but I do I do love the fact that we come back to talking about saying well actually what we're talking about is the values that were set forward by Graham Taylor and Elton John and the younger people listening to this will probably all go oh god he's going to bang on about Graham Taylor here we go again old fat bloke's off again he's off on one right but (laughs) that that is a that is a huge starting point this podcast has also interviewed people who for example have said we went and supported Watford and we stood with Luther and John Barnes when racist was commonplace and we said no we are Watford we stand here we supported having a chairman who was I mean basically let's, let's call it it was it was the most open secret known to man that we had a homosexual chairman and they went no we stand with him because we are Watford and it's the echoes of that I think that are, that are most important after that game where we last beat Luton four nil, which was twenty five years ago to the month. If we remember the Hornet shop, somebody there went, "Oh, brilliant!" Had a, had, you could almost see the light bulb coming over. And we had the t shirts made with "We beat the scum four nil." And do we remember why those didn't sell in abundance? Because Graham Taylor went absolutely batshit crazy and said, "You do not call people scum yeah. because that's not that's not the standards that we live by." I haven't heard an England player jeered at Wembley for a long time like John Barnes has been here. Hey, hey, you're talking about another human being, so just watch your language, all right? They're hammering him out there. If we apply that to the G word, uh, whatever, you know, whatever we want to have replacing it, I don't mind. 
then that then that echoes back to Graham. That echoes back to being good with families. Coming back to the conversation that we had with Anne Swanson, one of the things that she requested was when we have, and she just and she said it ever so nicely, ever so nicely. Um, you know, she, I, I wasn't a junior hornet, so she didn't feel able to threaten me. She threatened Justin, obviously. But there she we go. Threaten no, me, she yeah. said, um, <laughs> she said, if I can ask one thing, and you'll hear this when we're on the away days and we've got the little ones there, can the people at the away games, if you want to swear. And if you're going to swear a lot, can you just move across to where the others are swearing? And then then she turned around and said a wonderful thing. I mean, not all swearing. I mean, of course, you know, four or five swear words is perfectly acceptable. (laughs) It's it's understanding that there there is going to be industrial language. But that same person who said, we stood at the back end of the 70s and the early 80s being supporting one Watford because we stood up for... Basically, our, our players' rights at those times, because let's, let's be honest, Luther especially, and John Barnes, and Worrell Sterling, and David Johnson, and any other number of black players in the early 80s were trailblazers, along with the likes of Brendan Batson, Cyril Regis, Laurie Cunningham at West Brom. And now we have a game that is truly multicultural. And the fact that Reading have people making monkey chants shows that there's a great distance between Berkshire and Hertfordshire, because I don't expect to see that from Watford fans. And I be i'd be more than disappointed and the point that was made by that person who was interviewed on this podcast who was mr dougie brimson was said in those days if somebody came out and said something racist or said something about elton john we turn around and we face them up because those were the times you don't have to do that now but the joy that i'm having from having this conversation is taking the words we have a conversation with them it's about education because because one of the things that I think all, all modern communication falls back on a little too much is the use of infographics where they go, we had 58 and we prosecuted this and we've done this and we've done that. And people don't read them. They just see the numbers and they yeah. don't understand it. The biggest, most important thing here was you, to, to my mind, it'd be interesting to see what, the, what everybody else thinks, saying, no, we spoke to him and we also spoke to the person who, was, who thought they were being racist and we educated both sides mm. because it then becomes about cohabiting. Yeah. It comes down to cohabiting for three hours every two weeks in a stadium. It can't be that bloody hard, surely. Surely, absolutely. The players from the eighties, and I think it's a, it's a it's an interesting point. You look at that. You look back at those players. We did have more black players in our in our first team than a lot of clubs and you know we were trailblazers those players are are, are rightly remembered as trailblazers and you know there's a there's a thing if you've if you've not seen it i urge you to go and spend a bit of time and go and have a look it's not the first place that people go to if they don't sit there but in the family stand concourse there is actually a display of, of players like little fifa style shields and yep. some black players that played for watford that have got some form of trailblazing link to to, to what they did so going right back to jack Coffer. And players like Roy Brown, and then through to through to Luther and John Barnes, and then on to Lloyd Doyley and people like that, and right through to Troy. So it's a great it's a great little display, and it's there. It's where it is for a, for a very good reason, so that the kids can see it, and the kids can you know I, I showed all of the my, my little boy those those players, and you know he'll he'll understand who those players were and why they were important to what football club as he gets older. So it's all part of the it's all part of the bigger picture of what we what we're trying to do. I'll go back to the Junior Hornets event at the Putt Shack the other week. That was great because pretty much every single member of the first team squad was there. We're, we're all right. We're, we're in a pretty good shape with the, with the current group of players. I think most of them get 
the idea of who they're playing for. And I think most of them get that it's an important part of their roles to to be accessible as far as they can. And I think that event last, a couple of weeks ago, as I say, some of the shots I've seen of it were, were superb and echoes strongly with what, what the players would have done in the 80s. It's hard to have that side of what Graham and Elton did. It's, it's harder to do now, but it doesn't mean it's impossible and it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. So, this, this is the yeah, simple things like the like the, the open days and stuff. You know, we're, sure, we're always held at Vicarage Road. We're always fairly informal with players sort of milling around the perimeters and you could, you know, meet them and get an autograph and that. that so they just became too big and too difficult to manage. And because they were free, I literally anyone could come and anyone did. If you were doing that type of event, that's why we've moved towards more doing the junior hornets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the kids that really need that FaceTime with the players. It's the kids that should have it, have it the most. So the way you do the events now is slightly different and the junior hornet members apply to come along to the events and we and we pick as many as we can to go and so we you know we've got a responsibility to, to make sure the events we put on are safe the Sorry. feedback though from the from the junior hornets open day up at the training ground which is which is by its very definition a bit more enclosed and was universally praised it really was and if, if that's the way to go forward then that's a good thing sorry justin go on. dave it's been uh, absolutely fantastic to talk to you thank you for giving us over an hour of your time been great actually uh, it's been quite enlightening and thanks for yeah. not flinching when we kind of put difficult questions to you um yeah it's been great no, thanks no for coming on it's, no, no problem. it's a difficult than... it's a difficult subject so uh yeah, yeah it's, know, it's good it? to sort and, and uh, from a personal point of view uh, you know I, I can't speak highly enough how things have been handled uh, and what I would say to what fans is trust the process you know uh, as I've already said I don't want to go into too much but yeah just trust the process and it, it's, it's for the right right reasons thanks yeah I mean I, yeah it's been it's been great to come on and talk about it because again I think it's like uh, there, there is a lot you know you, just the social media world which I absolutely can't abide the, the way that the way that things go on social media um you know how can you in 120 characters have a conversation like we've had tonight yeah. and it really is yeah. really is talking these things through you can't do you can't do these subjects justice and it always makes me laugh when i see people put questions in reply to our, our tweets on the club's tweets on social media and it's like the, the the guys that are in our social media department they're just there doing their jobs oh, it's another, just say. another little just another little appeal on my behalf when people are replying to stuff just remember there's there's the you know, people doing those jobs are youngsters. They're not. They're not. They're not seasoned hacks like us. They, 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 it's, it's, human not nice. yeah. it's not nice for them to have to read, and there's nothing they can do. You can't. You can put a question. You know, the sort of questions that we get in reply, and we get put on social media with what for the tagged in. Just there's nothing they can do about that. They can't. It, there's no answers. There's no way of answering that publicly. No. So get in touch. Don't use that forum. If you've got a bee in your bonnet and you want to ask the club, get in touch. That's the easiest way. I've got to say I, they, they responded yeah. to the. Uh, I, I made yes. a rather what when we went for a bit of a grey patch about a month ago. I made quite what I thought was quite. An amusing video, which was kind of ribbing the comms a little bit, and I was pointing out some of the things that always seem to go on the Watford social media when there isn't really a lot to talk about, and that's things yeah. like players getting off of buses or yeah. and knee slides was one. You know, it's like knee slides, and then the next game when we beat Luton and uh, was it was it Pedro did a knee slide? Yeah, Pedro. and they referenced they referenced my piss taking, which I thought they was absolutely knee slides. <laughs> they put they a put tick. the green tick box, and we just my went, favorite, oh, my, well done. My favorite one ever that they spotted that they did, and I don't know. 
if you saw this or not, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish off. But my favourite one ever was when we got when we got relegated in 2020, and there was the old HMS Pistol League stuff that was oh, doing yeah. the rounds, and yeah, the yeah. Yeah. with a Watford badge. Yeah, Watford fans were using that tweet all the time. And when we did the graphic saying we're promoted with all the players in, then if you've ever spotted this or not, you might have to dig yeah. it out. Look, we had a big graphic with all the players with Troy and everyone else all celebrating, and then we're back in the Premier League. We're just peeking out over the top of the heads of one of the players is the top of the destroyer with the Watford. Didn't badge. notice it. I don't know how many Watford fans have ever spotted that. Didn't notice I know that. some did, but very good. Oh yeah, they do spot these things, and they are the old, they are they are the little nods, but they but they do read it. But just yeah, people just keep in mind they are you know they're people as well, and they're, they're doing their jobs, and they don't need to read the the vitriol that they have to deal with. We do sarcasm. We don't do vitriol. Yeah. No, we, we do just, sarcasm. Uh, not you yeah. guys, obviously. No, not no, you guys. Oh, we're, no, we're just, no, no. I mean, with this, we, we, we're a completely different type of soccer. Yeah, we just take the piss. No. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.